It is good, isn't it, to be able to come together on this Sunday afternoon and do that in such a way that we can appreciate the teaching of the Word of God that's set before us and we can engage in songs and hymns that we have done tonight. And we can also, of course, lift up our collective thoughts in a way that certainly can approach to our Heavenly Father and laud upon Him our thanksgiving for all that He's done for us. It is the case tonight that, as you can already tell from the wall behind me, that we'll be giving some thought for the next few moments to a lesson that has to do with a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. May I invite you to turn to Daniel, the fourth chapter, and we will devote the next few moments to a consideration of the events of that chapter. It is the case that the book of Daniel is one that perhaps would be well for us to characterize even as we begin the lesson this evening. I'm sure we're each well aware that the book of Daniel has a number of rather remarkable things that it presents to us. In this single 12-chapter book, we encounter dreams and visions. We encounter some amazing presentations, not the least of which we see some who find themselves in a fiery furnace. And we see another instance in which a gentleman, namely Daniel, is cast into a lion's den. And in each of these instances, we rather amazingly appreciate survival, and we appreciate some great lessons from the God of heaven, even on those particular circumstances. But in addition to that, we find a remarkable presentation of history, the unfolding of events in time. In fact, that will span not just four or five hundred years, but in many ways will stretch all the way to the end of time. And so it is that this book is a panoramic presentation of so many things that certainly are there to bless you and me. But we will only look at chapter 4 tonight, really. And in so doing, you might notice the chapter is a bit lengthy, and so we will highlight some of the attributes of it, and we will seek to implant in our thinking some great lessons from it. But the title of the lesson is Nebuchadnezzar's Other Dream. I'm sure we're all well aware that there are two rather well-known dreams of Nebuchadnezzar in this book, and one of them is much better known than the other one. That one will not be the source of our topic tonight. You're probably well aware that most known dream had to do with this great image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in a dream, and oddly enough, he couldn't remember the dream and certainly didn't know the interpretation. But that particular image had a head of gold, and it had arms and a breast area of silver. It had thighs and a midsection of brass and legs of iron. But it had feet that were a mixture of iron and clay. Amazingly enough, in that dream, Nebuchadnezzar also saw a great stone that impacted or crushed into the image. And of course, that's found in chapter 2. Chapter 4 will be the subject tonight, and I wonder how many of us might be familiar with this dream. If you would be turning to that chapter, and why don't we then turn our slide and get started like this. Nebuchadnezzar was a rather powerful monarch. He was, in fact, the king of Babylon. Now, Babylon, of course, earlier in time had not been that strong of a world empire. But by the time we reach the days of Daniel, the Babylonian Empire had reached a remarkable height. They were a tremendous world-influencing power. They had overwhelmed and conquered the previous Assyrian Empire, and now they, in many ways, were the ruling ones. 
Perhaps in that light, you might note that Nebuchadnezzar was one of the kings of Babylon. He was wealthy. He was powerful. It was such that he gave the orders and others directly, of course, were expected to obey. The Old Testament has much to say about him. I would offer you this thought, though, at the close of Daniel chapter 3. There were times that Nebuchadnezzar honored Daniel's God, meaning that he actually gave impetus and thrust to the God of Daniel. But there are other times, as we will quickly observe in chapter 4, when he did not honor God, the God of Daniel, above any other gods. He honored all of these various gods, including the Babylonian ones. That being said, the God of heaven visited Nebuchadnezzar with a dream. He, in fact, gave to him a dream, the design of which was to remind him that there is a God who stands higher than any supposed gods of men, that the God of heaven is the one true God, and that He, in fact, is the one who rules in the kingdoms of men, and He is the one who gives orders, and all, including Nebuchadnezzar, are expected to obey. Now, this lesson was to be a mighty one for Nebuchadnezzar. You and I might initially wonder, how did this dream then proceed? What kind of dream did he have? And what did the interpretation bring to his mind? On this next slide, we'll begin to give some thoughts to the dream itself. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 8 through 18, you find that this dream, somewhat different than the earlier one that I had mentioned, you might recall that earlier one was such that Nebuchadnezzar could not even remember the dream. He had asked the various wise men of Babylon, you tell me both the dream and the interpretation, and they were unable to do it. This time, Nebuchadnezzar could remember the dream, and he related it to Daniel. In chapter number 4, Beginning in verse number 4, the following words are shared with you and me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. In this instance, Nebuchadnezzar well recalled the dream, and you might note he said it made him afraid. He apparently had a sense that there was meaning involved in this dream, and that he was interested in knowing the interpretation. He thus called for the various wise men of Babylon, they came, and though they listened to his presentation of the dream, they were unable to tell the interpretation. It is with that said that verse number 8 then leads us right into the relating of the dream to Daniel. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the Spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream." After the others had failed to share the dream, I'm sorry, the interpretation of it, Daniel was called. Daniel was summoned, and the dream was related to him, and he related the interpretation. Allow me to read what it is about the dream itself. 
Verse number 10, Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher, and an holy one came down from heaven. Let's pause just a moment. In this dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw, he saw a tree, and this tree was remarkable. You may notice it was exceedingly tall, so that everyone on earth was able to witness or view from where they were the nature of this tree. The birds of the air came and lodged in its branches, and they were incredibly numerous. Other animals of the field found food to eat beneath it and in light of it. Not only that, you notice in verse number 12, the leaves were fair. And furthermore, the fruit that it bore was incredibly substantial. So far, we're getting the impression this tree was a remarkably large, plentiful, and fruitful tree. Now, that makes the following verse all that more surprising. What happened in the dream? Verse number 13 says that Nebuchadnezzar in the dream saw a watcher and an holy one come down from heaven and gave this order. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off its branches. Shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. The word from heaven, cut down this tree. Scatter the fruit, make the animals get away from it. Now with a tree as plentiful, and with a tree as noteworthy as this one was, perhaps to hear heaven give order to cut it, may no doubt have been partly what troubled Nebuchadnezzar. The next verse goes on to say this, Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. The word from heaven was, cut the tree, but leave the stump. This stump that was left, you'll notice it was to remain out there in the open, and as such, you'll notice dew was to fall upon it, and furthermore, its portion was to be with the beasts of the earth. And now the shocking word of verse 16 let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. That was the dream. The stump was left. As it remained in this location in the field, verse 16 rather shockingly said, let his heart be changed from man's. Apparently what we've witnessed in light of the tree and what we've seen in light of the stump is representative of a person. And his heart was to be changed from a human heart to something else. And then finally it says, Let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. You'll notice as you come near the bottom of that slide, we've highlighted by way of our reading 
at least the features of this particular dream. As the chapter proceeds onward, verse 17 then declares that this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Daniel was quick to point out Nebuchadnezzar, the entire thrust, the entirety of the message connected to this dream is this. Men need to know that there is a God in heaven who rules in the kingdoms of men, and as such, gives it to whomsoever he will, even to those who may well be the basest upon earth. It is with those things perhaps before us that our development of these matters now begs the interpretation. Don't you just know that Nebuchadnezzar was anxiously awaiting Daniel to share with him what this dream meant? Nebuchadnezzar so readily shared with Daniel the details of the dream. This was the dream I had. Now what does it mean? Verse number 19, Daniel begins to share the meaning of the dream. What did it mean and who was it for? Among the matters shared is this, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth. Do you hear with me? Daniel says, the tree that you saw. Verse number 22, It is thou, O king, you are the tree. That tree that you saw that was so mighty, so strong, so, so high, and that was so powerful that all were able to witness and see the degree of its authority and the power that it had. That tree is you. The tree is him. Now, otherwise, in this book, Nebuchadnezzar is described as the head of gold in that image. The Babylonian Empire was refined. It was powerful. It was mighty. In this instance, notice... It was represented by this tree, in which case Nebuchadnezzar in this strength was portrayed like this. Furthermore, you'll notice, though, that in that dream, the tree was cut. The tree was cut. And heaven gave the order to do it. It was not arbitrarily done. At this point, you and I then can readily see Nebuchadnezzar, as the tree was going to be cut, he would be humbled he would be brought low. His power, in essence, would be taken from him. You can see on the slide that there were other details prescribed in the character of this dream. Not only was the tree cut, but you and I noted just a few moments ago that the stump was left, and it dwelt then in the elements for seven times. The stump? What was to happen to Nebuchadnezzar? Looking on the slide, you'll notice that there were some additional matters which Daniel was quick to share. Matters that I might well read along this line. Beginning in verse number 23, 
And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof and the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, that they which drive thee from men... And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as an ox. And they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over thee till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The stump remained, but it did, of course, dwell in the elements for seven times. In the interpretation that Daniel delivered, that stump, which again will be you, will be left, and you will dwell like an animal until you know that God rules in the kingdoms of men. Until you come to appreciate that your might and the glory which you do possess didn't come by your might. It came by God's decree, and it came by God's deliverance in His presentation. Is it any wonder then that at this point we have come across a very intriguing passage? Did that really happen to Nebuchadnezzar? And if so, how? You'll note at the bottom of that slide that there was one final thing asserted by Daniel, and it was going to be this. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. His kingdom was to remain sure to him, even while he himself was dwelling like an animal. Now that decree must have been rather intriguing to him. At this point, why don't we step forward in our lesson tonight and begin to notice verse 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Do you hear along with me the perspective that Nebuchadnezzar had? Look at what I have done. Look at the kingdom which I have put together. Look at the efforts which I have expended. The word I occurs a number of times in that verse. He took the credit to himself. He, in fact, directed it to himself. Now the next verse. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. While he was saying these things, there came a decree from heaven, a declaration, what you saw in the dream one year earlier, is now going to happen. The kingdom will be taken from you. 
in the wording of verse number 32, you're going to dwell with the animals. You're going to eat grass like an ox. You're going to remain just as a cow, if you please, in the field. And in so doing, just like the stump remained and the elements came upon it, so too shall be the case with you. The next verse goes on to say, The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. Can you picture the kind of change that took place in this man? He had known the exquisite character of royalty. He was the king. Everyone in the empire submitted to him. And in almost an immediate matter, all of this changed. He now found himself, his nails growing lengthy, the character of his position had changed dramatically. He was dwelling and eating just as a cow would. But you'll notice in it all, verse number 34 we'll quickly make note of at the end of the days. A period of time, remember, there was a reference to seven times. And during that time, when these matters were the case for Nebuchadnezzar, he lived in this rather unusual and strange way. But of course, the times ended. And he was able to appreciate a particular that we shall notice in just a moment. For right now, as you and I close that slide, can we not note that the great tree had been cut? For a period of time, this man that was so great lived like an animal. His reason and understanding had been taken from him. He dwelled in the field beneath the character of what ordinary humankind would be. As we've already noticed, his fingernails grew. He dwelled out in the rain and the dew. The great tree had been cut, but the stump remained. Notice God didn't take his life. He did still continue to abide. It's just that he had an animal's heart in a proverbial way. Now, as you and I close that slide, we might at least ponder what did transpire after the times had ended. Remember, the kingdom had been foretold to him, would be sure to him, and so there will come a time when you and I can read verse 34 like this. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to, genera to, to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven." and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. He returned to his throne counselors and others sought his advice and his jurisdiction again. But think about what dramatic change had happened to him during that time. And did you know he apparently learned the lesson? My reason returned to me when I understood that God is the ruler of these things. 
He sets kingdoms up and He tears them down. He turns them over to others. When Nebuchadnezzar understood and realized that truth, things returned. Now on the next slide, you and I might at least begin to ponder that period of time when he lived like an animal. There have been those through the ages who have asserted that perhaps it seems strange to think this could really have happened. Was it like a fable? Was it somewhat like a story that might well be read and sometimes we read once upon a time and some fictional matter takes place? Or was this real? Did it really happen the way that the text indicated that it would? At the bottom of that slide, I ask you to at least ponder this. Those in the medical field even today do at least recognize the existence of a, of a malady, a disease that goes by the name of insania zoanthropica. Sounds a lot like what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It is a circumstance described... As you can see there, a person begins to imitate, begins to behave much like an animal. This person seemingly perceives him or herself in a way not unlike that. It's well known today. There are those who are in mental institutions who in fact behave this way. Now, they're protected for their own safety. They are housed for their own safety. But given to themselves, they would dwell much like Nebuchadnezzar did. This disease, again, is at least reasonably well known. It's not to say that it occurs frequently, but it is well understood that it does occur medically. In fact, there are some rather well-known documented cases where the person seemingly has an especial attachment to a wolf dwelling like a wolf, or behaving in a way perceived not unlike that of a wolf. I merely mention this to say, what the Old Testament had identified is a circumstance that is not medically impossible. It is one that is at least understood. Even today, again, there are those who do in fact have a condition not unlike this. The point of the event for Nebuchadnezzar, was exactly what the point stated to him was. The point is, you need to be humbled. You think that you are above, in essence, the greatness of the God of heaven, and therefore you exalt yourself that way. Look at what I have done. It's not till you realize that, in fact, it is not due to you that this kind of thing will happen to you. And so it did. In the closing of that slide, you and I might then wonder about some applications of these matters to you and to me. Lessons from it, after all, the Holy Spirit chose fit to preserve this amazing record in such a way that time-tested lessons could be of great benefit to you and me. Let's look at three of them. First of all, the thing that Nebuchadnezzar had failed to do was the acknowledgement of the God of heaven as the giver of those blessings he enjoyed. He considered them due to his efforts, due to his wisdom, due to his rulership. He found out differently. During those period of times when he was living like an animal, he came to find out differently. 
may I read again the verses we had noted earlier? Daniel chapter 4. Verse number 34, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. He came to recognize that that which he wonderfully enjoyed was due to the God of heaven. Today, may I suggest, Nebuchadnezzar's error, at least in some way, might be mine or yours as well. If we begin to look upon our abilities and our capacities and our capabilities as the sole source of that which we have, and the sole means of that which we have come to possess, then we, at least in part, have fallen prey to the same error Nebuchadnezzar did. Look at some of these verses with me. In James 1, verse 17, far over into the New Testament, the inspired writer was so powerfully able to point out every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James, you see, reminded those strangers of his era and day that those matters, every good thing, every good thing, is due to God. It isn't due to my efforts. It isn't due to my knowledge or my wisdom or the other characteristics which I might possess. It is due to the particular beneficence of God. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to Him. In the words of Psalm 50, verse 14, the earth and the the inhabitants thereof all belong to Him. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. It might well be in light of all those things. Our opening lesson might well race us into the New Testament further as we give thought to that text in Acts chapter 14, verse 17. There, isn't it reminded of us that rain and fruitful seasons and, yea, all these other matters, they are due to God. He gives them to us. They aren't due to your efforts or mine. At this point, thus, may we not notice that when we make our contribution back to Him, Brother Gary asked us to appreciate that this morning before we took up the collection, to remember that it belongs to Him. The earth and the works thereof are all His. This opening lesson then might be a powerful reminder. Look what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he failed to understand this. What about application number two? This one might well be stated like this, and it clo closely relates to the first one. But it is a great mistake to elevate oneself above the God of heaven. Isn't it so that God, of course, is a spirit? John 4, verse 24. He doesn't stand before you and me in the flesh. And quite often it might well be easy to proceed through our daily walk of life and just forget that He's there. Because we can't see Him with our eye. We have to perceive Him through the eye of faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. No wonder in that connection. It can perhaps be tempting to elevate ourselves above Him. I'll do it my way. I may well have some idea that He has said this or that, but... 
he's not here, and so I'll do the, what I want. Well, that kind of approach is extraordinarily dangerous. Look what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he tried that. I'll do it my way. While the words were emanating from his mouth, that decree from heaven came, No, you won't. And in so doing, for a period of time, apparently seven years, he lived like an animal. Seven years. Think about how much time that would involve. And oh, what things transpired that he saw. You and I might need to keep in mind that although that disease I mentioned earlier, again, is something known. It is to be observed here that this apparently was a unique thing for Nebuchadnezzar because though he did have something like that, this condition persisted until he came to his senses. So all the while he was living in his animal, he knew why it was happening. He knew the sentence of heaven that brought it about. And it's only when he realized the need for repentance in his life and the understanding that went with the nature of honoring the God of heaven that the condition was lifted. It took a while for him apparently to come to that sense, though, didn't it? I trust you and I would be wiser than that, and if we begin to err in this way, I hope it doesn't take seven years for us to learn about it. Some other verses that speak about this. Exodus 5 verse 2 reminds us, There was another great monarch that found himself in a similar position. It was, of course, the Egyptian Pharaoh. You might recall, let my people go, God decreed. But Pharaoh wouldn't do it. He refused to let them go. Plague after plague came upon them. Plague after plague not only afflicted the Egyptian people, but afflicted him. He still wouldn't let them go. Finally, he came to his senses, but you remember what it required. He took the death of the firstborn. Then he let them go. But all the while, he perceived that he was greater than Moses' God. He was greater than the decree that Moses set forth. He was higher than either Aaron or Moses, and so he was going to do it his way. But then God said, no, you won't. The death of the firstborn came about, and then he couldn't get the Israelites out of Egypt fast enough. Amazing how the power of God is manifested in ways that even impact and afflict these rulers in the kingdoms of men. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, aren't we reminded there that the word of the Lord is so mighty and His ways are higher than ours. It's expressly said that His thoughts are higher than ours and His ways are higher than ours. And so, we would be foolish to think that we can think on His level. We can act along the way that would please Him aside from the fact that He tells us what He wants. Application number three. God can abase those who walk in pride. Now I realize that's connected to the earlier two applications, but isn't it amazing to reflect upon it in its own right? He did abase the Pharaoh, and he did abase Nebuchadnezzar, a man as powerful and as noteworthy as a king who lived like an animal for seven years. And yet he did. He did learn the lesson, though. 
I'd suggest that that perhaps challenges you and me to realize that verse number 37 will now close that chapter with these unforgettable words. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and His ways judgment, and those that walk in pride He is able to abase. Talk about a man able to speak from personal experience. He is able, that is, God is able to abase those that walk in pride. And Nebuchadnezzar could list himself as Exhibit A. I can tell you this because it happened to me. It might well be you and I can offer at least some statement along that line too. Has there been a time in life when you and I had become puffed up? Maybe due to knowledge or skill or otherwise, and we felt as if... We were the unsinkable ship, only to find that God turned us into a Titanic. And we found that things didn't go quite the way we imagined they would. Something in our health changes. Something in our family changes. Something at work changes, and suddenly we find ourselves on our knees when only a few days before we could never have imagined it. God is able to abase those that walk in pride. And that's one of the greatest motivations to ever in tender humility, to always have an humbleness of mind, Colossians 3.12, and to realize from the words of Luke 14, verses 11 and following, that those who are abased, God will exalt. But those who exalt themselves, God will abase. That's just the way it is. God wants you and me, to humbly submit to Him and to honor Him as the great extolled King of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar learned that lesson. I trust that you and I will not need to fall into a disaster even remotely similar to His, but that we, from reading what happened to Him, can learn the lesson without having to experience anything like it. Tonight, as we close this particular lesson, why don't we do that with a simple statement of conclusion that appears like this. Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, though perhaps not as well known as the first one, it testifies to the state of mind that was his. He exalted himself above what would be acceptable, and God abased him for a period of time in which he lived like an animal. The applications you and I have made powerfully enough to you and me, of course, are, may we always acknowledge God is the giver of our blessings. May we furthermore appreciate that it is a tremendous mistake to exalt ourselves above that which would be appropriate. And finally, the last thing we observed is God can and often has abased those who exalted themselves. I hope we've been motivated to begin this particular year with an air of humble submission to our great God of heaven, honoring Him as the giver of life and breath and all things, Acts 17.25. Tonight, if there might be anyone who would wish to humbly submit to His way by bowing before Him, submitting to the following commandments, to become a Christian, we aren't left to our own devices. He's told us what we must do. Believe in the Lord, John 8, 24. Repent of our sins, Luke 13, 5. Confess His name 
in the words of Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, and to be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Upon doing that, He adds us to the church, and we can walk faithfully till death and look forward to the home in heaven. If we stumble and fall, we can get back up. In the Bible, that will involve repentance every time. And so, repent of those errors. Confess them in the words of 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. And tonight, if we could be of some assistance or help in that regard and way, we'd delightedly be willing and happy to do it. This song of encouragement has been selected. If we could be of some help now, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?